Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on stolen Ghana land and we would like to pay our respects to all elders past, present, and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Before we get started on the uh, robust feminist discussion that we're going to have today, we just wanted to give a not-so-subtle plug to some live podcast recording shows that we have coming up. Have you ever listened to a podcast and wanted to contribute to the discussion going on? Now you can. Yes! We've invented live pod... No, we haven't. We absolutely haven't invented that, Ellis. It's it's a a (laughs) long-standing tradition. (laughs) But we are doing two shows on the 24th and 30th of October. We are! Uh, For those of you who are in Adelaide, we will be discussing Frozen on the 24th and Friends on the 30th. Hell yeah! And we really appreciate if people came to support. We will include links... Two tickets in the description of the episodes. It'll be all over our social media. You know where to find us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, please come along. There are limited seats, uh, so get your tickets in quick. Uh, get them in early so that you can be part of the discussion, uh, just like the discussion we're about to have now. Yeah. It's supported by the Back to Back Festival, hosted by the Star Theatres. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you go to buy tickets, there'll be quite a few different shows that you'll be able to buy tickets from at the same uh, on the same page. Uh, check the other ones out as well. There's yeah. some great stuff happening. You get discounts the more shows you book tickets to. Every mm. ticket becomes cheaper. Yeah. Uh, it's a really great festival, really great thing, and just so good that we are so fortunate in Adelaide to be Absolutely. able to have theatre again. Yeah, and we are thinking of our pals in the state and overseas who don't currently have uh, that option, and uh, we love you. And for those listeners, interstate and overseas, you will be getting the episode as well. Yeah. You just won't be able to be in the room. Like, it's a live podcast recording that we will then release as a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll still get to hear. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you go to buy tickets, you're like, why are there 7 million shows listed here? Those are just the other stories in the festival, so check them out too. But yeah, exactly. make sure that you also buy the tickets to Feminism Ruins Everything <laughs> on the 24th and 30th of October. It's going to be great. There's going to be music. There's going to be audience interaction. Mim's going to juggle on a unicycle. Oh! It's, uh, we'll talk about it later. Oh, great, great. Yeah. It's going to be great. So buy your tickets. See you there. All right. Today, I am so excited to be, like, revisiting my childhood nostalgia <laughs> because we are talking about the iconic 2001 film... Featuring Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. That is The Princess Diaries. I'm I'm really keen. I think a lot of our listeners are really keen. This has been requested a couple of Mm. times as well. So we're really excited to be diving into this. And, and, you know, exploring this this wonderful film. Mm. So full disclosure, I was a nerd in primary school and I was obsessed with... No, not, I wasn't even a nerd. I just was like somebody that liked books. Let's not shame that. (laughs) Um, I... 
was super into the book series when mm-hmm. I was in primary school. Um, and so I definitely watched the film and even the second film, especially the second film, the second film was completely off kilter and is not remotely, does not, not remotely follow the book series. We have very differing opinions in the second film. Yeah. I really don't like it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But we just talk about the first one today. Only the first one so far. Um, but there are some things that I'll probably butt in from time to time and be like, well, in the book series, <laughs> this thing happened. Whereas while I was a nerd in primary school and high school, and let's face it now, uh, <laughs> I only watched this movie for the first time this year. At the beginning of the year, me and a bunch of the School of Rock people, we had an Anne Hathaway appreciation movie night. And we Adorable. watched uh, both Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted and The Devil Wears Prada. Oh. It was a phenomenal evening of great movies, just and Anne Hathaway doing her thing. I love Anne Hathaway. I love I Anne Hathaway I would give my life well. for Anne Hathaway. Yeah. I would give my life for Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like oh. So I adored Julie Andrews. Um, when we did our Sound of Music episode... Um, friend of the podcast, Amy LaPalma, um, was very adamant about her adoration for Julie Andrews. And I was like, absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. How can you not adore this woman? And I was watching Princess Diaries and I was like, I really hope she's not acting. Like in my mind, this is just how Julie Andrews Conducts is herself. as a person. <laughs> I can get behind counting Julie Andrews as the royals. Like I know there are a bunch of people who are like obsessed with the royal family in the UK. Mm. And I have I, I have no care for any of it. Julie Andrews, <laughs> such however. A Scott. <laughs> <laughs> they're draining our money. Taxpayers' money and doing nothing and uh, uh, I don't get it. I just don't I don't understand it. Julie Andrews, however. All on board. All hail Queen Queen Julie. Actually, funny anecdote. Uh, when I was younger watching Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, I remember one day saying you know, I really love Julie Andrews because she really reminds me of my gran, mm. both in terms of like how she presents herself in a kind of caring but like <laughs> forceful manner um, mm. in terms of Mary Poppins. But also like I thought they looked like reasonably similar. And my dad just turned to me and was like, that's really upsetting because I've always had a crush on Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my mother you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> that is funny. Oh. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with... The uh, 2001 movie, absolutely, please go watch it because it's mm. awesome uh, and it's like very nostalgic. We've done quite a few kind of late 90s, early 2000s films yeah. on this podcast, haven't we? I feel that's, like we're that's just where we're nostalgic. Forging a bit of a forging a bit of a niche for ourselves. Um, that's what the people want, I guess. I guess so. Uh, but also, every outfit in this movie, I'm like, oh, that's every bad outfit that I wore in primary school, isn't it? Um, but it's great from a nostalgic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some like great one-liners and stuff. Like it's it's funny. It's a really it's a really good script. Really strong characterization, at least yeah. from our, our leads. Like really lovely performances across the board. Really lovely relationship between Anne Hathaway's character and Julie Andrews' character. Mm. We we're aware that they have names, but the, they're Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. Exactly. Um, but if you're not familiar with the, the storyline of the show, the show, the movie, essentially what happens is uh, Anne Hathaway is playing Mia Thermopolis, who is just an average teen in San Francisco. She um, is 
uh, a bit of an outcast and like she's, she's bullied. Yeah, and she like sees herself as invisible. Like in the first couple of scenes, like somebody sits on her and it's like, mm. oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't see you there. <laughs> um, and the principal like comes up and talks to her friends, like, hello, Lily. Hello, Lily's friend. <laughs> Iconic. Also, that's Sandra O, oh, which is just, <gasps> uh, we'll gush about that later. Uh, but essentially, Anne Hathaway's character, um, Mia, her parents. Uh, are divorced and she lives with her mum and her dad died uh, a few months ago and her grandmother who was her paternal grandmother is like in town and wants to meet and it's Julie Andrews <laughs> and uh, imagine just finding out your grandmother was Julie Andrews like <laughs> phenomenal um Julie Andrews apparently doesn't exist in this world um or if she does what her, a sad her world doppelganger is the queen of Genovia yeah. <laughs> um I, t- I digress uh, and essentially, the queen uh, is her grandmother, and she's like, so just letting you know, you're the heir to the throne of Genovia, which is uh, this small European country, and uh, you're going to have to, you know, take on the throne because you're a princess. And she's like, what? I'm an awkward teenager. I can't be a princess. And then it's about Julie Andrews kind of coaching her granddaughter in, like, becoming a bit more royal and about mm. her coming to like gaining confidence so that she can uh you know rule Take a the throne, country yeah. and um about the trials and tribulations along the way and it's very heartwarming but i have some qualms with it from a feminist perspective mm. so let's let's dive into it let's dive into i think the biggest overarching issue which comes in the form of the expectations of Mia's transformation. Mm. So I am in two minds about her character arc throughout mm. the movie. Um, because she starts out at this, as this awkward teen who does not have a lot of self-confidence and like literally vomits at the thought of public speaking. Yeah. And by the end, she has a lot of confidence and she can get up and stand up for herself. And, and we see a lot of examples of her sticking up for herself throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that transformation is lovely, but the way that she finds that confidence and the way that she gains respect from people um, and... The, the reason that she transforms is because physically she has a transformation where they have um, primed her to be more fulfilling of societal beauty standards mm. and where she gets coached in being more ladylike and more fulfilling, like quite outdated expectations of what it is to be feminine and to be a woman. She has a transformation and she betters herself along the way, but that is off the back of her... Um, becoming more quote-unquote attractive, adhering to gendered expectations of women and Mm -hmm. becoming more ladylike. Like, something that is missing in this film when it's like, we're going to teach you how to be a princess Mm. is the running a country part Mm. because there seems to be an expectation that she will run the country. There is a prime minister of Genovia, but her big worry is like, I don't want to let people down and be a bad leader Mm. yet at no point in any of the lessons that they're like well here's how you discuss foreign delegates yeah or or like how a bill becomes a law which as you point out to like the the target audience might not be particularly interested in the kind of political side of things but 
it kind of sends the message that the only thing that you need to do to be a good royal is to look pretty and act refined. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it's a little little disconcerting. And like you see, we see Julie Andrews meeting with a lot of diplomats and having lots of discussions, and and is she's constantly kind of like working and is busy. So it's like that is a part of the job, but at no point. Do they convey that to yeah. to Mia? It's more about you need to wear pantyhose. You need to sit without crossing your legs. I this never is... want to see those shoes again. Yeah, this is how you wave. Mm. I mean, granted, great scenes really fun. come out of that. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. <laughs> Outstanding. Also, let's. here's a trope that I think is overdone and quite annoying. And it's the... We're going to cast a quote-unquote conventionally attractive actress, and she has to go through a, a beautification process. Yeah. And so, at the beginning of the film, we need to make them. We need to try and make Anne Hathaway, a gorgeous human being, look unattractive. Like, oh, let's give her some glasses and some curly hair. <laughs> and I think curly hair is beautiful. <laughs> But I think the the ridiculousness of it happens in the movie where uh, Mia works at a, a rock climbing facility and she isn't wearing her glasses and she's tied her hair back to, to work and she just looks like Anne Hathaway. Mm. When the big reveal happens, like here's the glamorous transformation, she just continues to look like Anne Hathaway. Mm. But we've already seen that earlier in the film just with slightly less makeup. Yeah. And I'm like, so, so it kind of lessens the impact of the transformation yeah i also think there's there's such a big emphasis on physical appearance in this film that isn't critiqued Mm. um like there's this whole segment where julie andrews is like let me take a good look at you and she does a little rotation and she just sits there like picking apart all of her physical characteristics and like some of them are complimentary yeah like Um, her eyes she says you have beautiful eyes but um, hot take, whether or not you have nice ears is not going to determine whether or not you're going to be good at leading a country. Yeah. Uh, except the one time that rings true was for Tony Abbott. <laughs> we should have known with the ears. We should have should've known. Should have known. Um, but I remember um, like watching that scene as a kid and watching like the physical transformation and... Because I was a kid, I was not like watching it with nuance and I wasn't watching it with a critical eye. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's how to be a princess. Basically, like, I took that at face value and was like, um, all right, here's how I should act if I should be taken more seriously. Um, mm. And I guess there is the element that when she finally rocks up at this big event, she is mm. like drenched from the rain and she's wearing jeans and a, a hoodie and her docks. Uh, and like that's kind of her biggest moment of being um, authoritative. The mm. fact that she can get up there and speak with confidence and conviction, um, despite the fact that she is just dressed as her everyday self and just drenched in rain. Yeah. Um, I suppose that there's that element that kind of debunks that and goes, she doesn't need to look like a princess to act like one. Mm. Um, but at the same time, all of the all of the nitpicking about her physical appearance uh, and about the emphasis on what she should do to present more ladylike, um, I think, 
is a detriment to the film and its message. That scene is also kind of undercut by immediately before uh, Julie Andrews announces her, and and I'm sure she'll have an explanation for her her unique appearance or something like that. So even then, it's like still a little bit undercut in a kind of, isn't this unusual and odd? And Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, I really... The, the last scene really irked me where she's on a plane to Genovia. And, <laughs> although I did really like her cat with the tiara on his yeah. like royal cushion. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that. Um, but she's like sitting there looking really refined, like in this lovely like blue sooty thing. And she's got her lovely hair and she's sitting there all refined writing her diary. And I'm like, oh, I just wanted you to retain more of what made you you like can can mm. we still see some of that like beautiful dorky misfit personality shine through like I, I guess you do see that at the end of the ball scene where she and Michael are like doing the robot yeah that's fun but but, but I, yeah it's like whenever a film's message is like you need to change something fundamentally about you in order to be accepted mm. there's just something a bit iffy about that and I don't think this is as bad an example as Greece. No, because I think Greece is trash. Greece is Greece is like one far end of the spectrum. Go listen to our Greece episode, <laughs> folks, if you haven't, because it's it's a time we we hold no punches. <laughs> <laughs> but while I think Mia does kind of retain a sense of herself and the reason that she does accept the throne at the end of the film seems to be coming from a place that is wholly mm. her. She still had to kind of like conform in a lot of ways yeah. to get there. And it's just a bit iffy. Mm. Just feels iffy. I think that I, I don't think that this was the intention of the film, but something thematically that it really brings up for me is the fact that I feel that the whole construct of royalty and being a royal um the expectation and the tradition associated with that is really upholding of gender roles Mm. when i was watching this movie it reminded me of an article i read ages ago Mm -hmm. um it was published on mamma mia and it was written by maggie hamilton and it was published on the 22nd of April, 2014. So I'm quite proud of my memory for being like, I wrote an article in 2014 that well re- this reminds me of. Um, also, I'm proud. We just cited some sources. Like, that was some good shit. Look at us go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the article is titled, This is why Kate Middleton is no role model for my daughter. Mm. And uh, for anyone who's unaware, Kate Middleton is the woman who married Prince William. William, thank you. I was about to say Charles, and I was like, no, absolutely no, not. not. That that's it, that's a big age gap. Um, and, you know, their royal wedding in, I reckon, 2010. Uh, yes, it was 2010, because I was doing Susical the Musical. Um, you're, you're looking to the wrong person for confirmation of this. <laughs> like, as, as a Scotsman, I try my best to pretend the royals don't exist. <laughs> uh, but, yes, Kate Middleton is a... She's a duchess, I think. Duchess of Cambridge, I believe, yeah. is her title. Um, and I want to read you some of this article. I think it sums up some of the qualms that I have with the depiction of... Not even the depiction of royalty, but just, like, royalty as a concept yeah. um, in relation to 
feminism. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Maggie Hamilton writes in this article, I have nothing against Kate. I'm sure she is nice, that she is a good wife, a good daughter, a good person, and of course, a great mother. But I do have a problem with her being held up as an ideal of exemplary womanhood, a wonderful role model for our daughters, an antidote to the Kim Kardashians of the world. Because this outpouring of adoration is for a woman whose job description is basically be pretty, be thin, have some babies, don't rock the boat. The article then goes on to say, That's why Duchess Kate is dangerous for our daughters. She has revived the idea that women being defined by who they marry is a positive life choice. Which I wholeheartedly agree Mm. with in terms of the royals. I think the royals in general are... uh, And I mean, specifically, I'm referring to the British royals. I know there are other royals all around the world, but that's the one that I'm closely associated with. And also the one that the media... uh, yeah focuses on yeah. the and most. And like, the Queen is our head of state in Australia, yeah. so we're... It's still relevant. She's relevant to us. She's on our $5 note. Yeah. Uh, and our coins, I think. Yes. But I, I believe that the royals are an outdated concept for mm. a number of reasons, and also, but primarily the fact that there is this inherent patriarchal uh, rule that comes with them. Like, the only reason we have a queen at the moment is because her father didn't have any sons. And the fact that until, I believe, Kate and Will's first child, did they change the rule that it wouldn't be the firstborn son that inherited the throne, it would be the firstborn child. So that's only a very recent change to have happened. But the royals conduct themselves in this way that is like very old-fashioned mm. and there's a way that you must present yourself, mm. particularly the way that the women yeah. present herself. I mean, look at the way that the media treated Princess Diana, yeah. the way that the royal family treated Princess Diana as well. But something else that I take away from this film that I think is relevant to that is the, the deeply problematic nature of like the press and the paparazzi and the, the invasion of mm. privacy that can have a really... Um, traumatic impact on the people that they target which is you can draw a lot of parallels with princess diana obviously yeah. Yeah. i mean the fact that Meghan markle and who's it harry mm. uh left the royal family to avoid that kind of stuff is very telling mm. they, they abdicated their position as royals which is like commendable mm. if if they weren't both incredibly privileged and (laughs) (laughs) like it's like oh you're gonna be slightly less well off than you are already are Mm. that's and also i think they just got a deal with like maybe netflix there we go about um like their tell-all story which i think is gonna like make up for the fact that their royal allowance has been taken away because i think it's more than that or something ludicrous (laughs) but also they will forever be like he's not gonna be prince harry He's forever going to be associated with royalty. She's going to be forever associated as the person who married into royalty. Yeah. Like, yeah, I also very little. But also, she's defined by the fact that she's a great actress. That too. She's really good in suits. That too. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a little off track with <laughs> regards to the, the, the Princess Diaries, but I think that's why people tune in. To, <laughs> <laughs> to hear the rambling. Um, so... While I suppose we do critique the fact that there's this, oh, you're beautiful and now everyone takes you seriously and you have to conform to the ideals mm-hmm. of uh, traditional womanhood to fulfill your political role, 
hot take you don't um while that is a little bit problematic and like the emphasis on her appearance is problematic i do think that there are some strong feminist uh things to be said about this film Mm -hmm. and i think that one of them is the fact that there are just strong awesome badass women everywhere yeah everywhere you look uh, like starting with Queen Julie Andrews, um, she is the head of state, mm. and she is regularly seen uh, like meeting with diplomats and trying to make arrangements with her for her country, and she's like constantly in a position of of power, and she tries to use her power as best she can to take care of her people. And I think that's really commendable. She does abuse it a little bit (laughs) with the, uh, when, when Mia crashes into the tram car and she like uh, gets Mia out of being arrested by knighting the, (laughs) the police officer and the tram driver in quite an amusing scene, but also like, like, Oh, hello, abusive power. How are you doing? Like if that does not speak to the way that the affluent are able to just like sit above the law Mm-hmm. Constantly, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also have um, Mia's mother, yeah. who is very independent. She's an artist. Uh, the fact that she didn't want to become a princess because she's like, can you imagine me just like spending my life walking behind a man? Yeah, and she's a feminist like, icon. Yeah, but also fully supportive of Mia. It's like, hey, Mia, if you want to become a princess and and go down that line. I am totally in support. I am here for you, which is wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Also, like, does rock climbing as a hobby? What a <laughs> sick woman. Goes to parent-teacher interviews and gets a date with Mia's teacher. Woman knows what she wants. Paints by throwing darts at paint Pretty balloons. Sick. That's really Pretty cool. Pretty sick. Although I do have the qualm that in the book series, um, the teacher that she ends up with who she ends up marrying i'm pretty sure i don't remember a lot of the book series but i remember some very specific things and that's yeah. one of the specific things i remember <laughs> um but he's like meant to be just like a bit dorky like kind of balding like just just a, a sweet guy but like a bit bit of a dork yeah and he's like this played by this really kind of conventionally attractive dude in the movie and i'm like he's meant to be dorky come on <laughs> give us dorky guys a chance yeah. Yeah. But one thing I do like with her character is um that so she and Mia's father got a divorce. Mm. Uh like when Mia was a baby. And it's portrayed in quite a healthy way. Yeah. Like there there doesn't appear to be any animosity between the the two families. It's all very much look I cared for this person so much it just didn't work out and everybody kind of understood and I I just like that this is presenting divorce in a somewhat healthy way in that sometimes things don't work out and it is possible for things to be amicable. And it's also okay for two people to go, our lives are leading in different directions and we can't compromise on that. So Mia's mum, Helen, has this conversation with Julie Andrews where she goes, look, I know things didn't work out between me and your son, but like, I loved him very much. I really cared for him, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. And then in the letter, um, that Mia receives from her father, posthumously Mm -hmm. from her father, um, like before he he wrote before he died, he's not a ghost writing. (laughs) That'd have been a last minute twist. (laughs) He's a ghost. Uh, but in that letter, it says something also to the effect of like, 
things didn't work out between your mother and I, but like I, I loved her very much. I really cared for her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a healthy representation of divorce, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, speaking of other strong women in this movie, freaking Sandra O oh is there. <gasps> Sandra O oh is and she's, so delightful. She's rocking it. Um, she, she's the vice principal of the high school and she just steals every single scene yeah. that she's in. Yeah. In, in a way that only Sandra O oh can. Yeah. She's hilarious. She's phenomenal. And yeah, she's, she's a beacon of strong feminine energy. <laughs> um, so I do not get around TikTok. TikTok scares me, but sometimes I will see TikToks either on Instagram or my friends will like send them to me to be like, you would enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And I know you won't see it because you don't use TikTok. Uh, and one of the above things that I saw was this series of women who um, used the soundbite of Sandra O oh in the um, in the scene where the press has swarmed the high school and she's trying to do damage control and she gets a phone call and she picks it up and she's like, Copter. Uh, no, sir. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Queen is coming. And there's this series of TikToks where people just like pick up like a random item. Like this one person like picked up their cat <laughs> and um like mouthed the the soundbite of that scene. And I watched this TikTok and I was like, I know that I am familiar with the source material of this, but I cannot place it. And then I watched Princess Bride is not Princess Bride, and then I watched Princess Diaries, and I was like, ah, that's where it's from. <laughs> She's just truly iconic. So good. And same with the the gym teacher yes. as well, who is constantly motivating Mia. And even at one point, like Mia is trying to block uh, soccer balls from going in the goal. And she's like, I can't do it. I'm a girl. And the gym teacher, she's just like, so? Mm. And I'm just like, oh, that's just... It's little things like that that I think for a movie's aimed at a younger audience, yeah. it's good that it's in there. It's not made a huge big deal of it's just a little subtle thing to kind of go that's fine like don't let yourself be held back yeah. by your gender yeah also um there's the scene where she has to hit the um softball Base, baseball baseball i don't know the difference between softball and baseball it's she has to hit- softball has a softer ball i hate you no, i'm not even kidding that's the difference <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, where she has this gym assessment and she has to hit a ball and the gym teacher is like being super supportive mm-hmm. uh, and is like, yes, you can do it. I don't want to flunk you in gym class. How embarrassing. Um, but also when we'll talk about this scene in a minute, but when Mia's is really vulnerable in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The beach party scene, mm-hmm. um, the gym teacher like swoops in, like gets her out of the way. He's like blowing her whistle the whole yeah. time. Um, strong women. Strong women everywhere. So good. It's really, really wonderful. Yeah. However, 
while there are lots of strong women in this film, there is not a lot of girls supporting girls. <sighs> Look, I think Ooh. it's time. I think it's time we, we, we address the elephant in the room. Yeah. With which its is, own cable show. Which is that... Ellis, we're going to say this together. I need you to look at me. Lily, Lily sucks. She's so bad. To the point where... So I messaged my, my swings. Um, I'm just like, hey, we're doing Princess Bride. Oh, God. Yeah, I keep doing that as well. Uh, we're doing Princess Diaries uh, on the podcast. Do you have any comments? And the immediate first comment was, Lily is the worst. Lily is the worst. Because she is... In no way supportive of Mia in any shape or form. Mm. Like, everything is, like, a criticism or belittling or trying to use her new fame for her own gain. Yeah. And I think they the movie tries to kind of, like, reclaim her at the end by, like, Lily being the person who's, like... You are a young person with power. You have the potential to use it for good, mm. which is like, it's like when the worst person you know makes a good point. I'm like, damn it, Lily. <laughs> but throughout the whole film, she's just nothing but unsupportive of Mia. And I just, I yeah. couldn't stand her. Like one of the first conversations that they have um, is her saying, oh yeah, my dad did this or said this or something. And uh, Mia goes, well, at least you still have a dad. And Lily's response is, um, oh, are you still help, like caught up about your dad dying? It's been like two months. Yeah. <laughs> um, two whole months to mourn your father. Yeah, like a bit harsh. It's real yeah. hard. There's, there's also the moment where uh, Mia has her makeover. Mm-hmm. And while we have issues with the... Um, the idea that you need to conform to conventional standards of beauty to succeed. It's very clear in the movie that it means a lot to Mia. Mm. Like, she finally feels more confident with how she's looking. And that is something that we wholeheartedly support. Yeah, whatever... If if something makes you feel good, freaking go for it. Yeah. Yeah. However, the instant that Lily sees Mia's transformation, she's like... What have you done? You've sold out. I cannot believe you did this. Yeah, like rips and into her. Not a moment of like trying to understand where she's coming from or trying to mm-hmm. appreciate the situation or go, hey, you've done something different. You're going for something else. Good for you. Like you live your life. No, it's like, oh, you've sold out. You have, you know, given into the, the influence of the trashy popular kids. Oh, to the point where, like, like Mia's crying in the back seat of the car, and I'm just like, "You're Lily, you are awful. Mm. Why are you doing this?" Which is then only compounded with how worse it is when uh, Mia then tells Lily her secret because she's been keeping the whole princess thing a secret for obvious reasons. Um, as soon as she goes, "Hey, Lily, I'm actually a princess." Lily completely changes and is like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Can you come on my cable show?" And it's like, "Oh, so you weren't on board when your friend did something different for herself, but as soon as your friend appeared to be in a position of power that you could also benefit from, mm. suddenly you're on board with everything." Yeah, I'm just no, I'm I'm not for it. Just as a completely 
irrelevant side note every time lily was like would you come on my cable show i was like is this what it sounds like when we ask people to be on our podcast (laughs) (laughs) would you come on my podcast do you you want to be on a podcast except fortunately our podcast reaches more than 12 people we hope (laughs) (laughs) if you're our 13th listener please (laughs) get in touch (laughs) we also have Mandy Moore as mm. the the popular cheerleader villain villainous character who is constantly making fun of Mia but as soon as the cameras are on it's like oh my god we're best friends we yeah. go shopping all the time uh. and we do each other's hair and, which is like rude but you know what I'm like she gets a quote unquote pass she's supposed to be the villain mm. what doesn't quite get a pass is the beach debacle <gasps> the beach debacle so the beach debacle is what happens when uh, there is this big beach party and Josh, who is, you know, pretty boy, token jock, the popular guy who's allegedly hot by 2001 standards. Um, <laughs> Did you have a crush on Josh when you were Oh, I can't child? remember. I think I instinctively was like, you're a bad person, so I'm not attracted to you. Uh, <laughs> A characteristic that is not carried through into my adulthood. Um, So Josh, token pretty boy, he has been the object of Mia's affections. Uh, We see her like daydreaming about him at the start of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then once she, you know, is a princess and is popular and is pretty and has all this press attention, that's when he notices her and asks her to this beach party. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I wrote in my notes something to the effect of it's really shit that he only cares about her when, uh, you know, there's something in it for him. But also that's such an obvious point that I don't even need to make that point. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the the movie critiques that. It's really obviously a bad call on his part. Um, So he invites her to this beach party uh, and she is like dreaming of this romantic evening. She wants to have a first kiss. She wants her foot to pop when it happens, Mm -hmm. like go up on one foot and like have the other one just like pointing out behind it. Um, And she has this ideal of what she wants to happen. Uh, So then she has this evening with Josh. He takes her away to this like freaking little cabin thing Mm -hmm. uh, because the press have come and he's like uh, under a a ruse of being like, let me save you from the press. Mm -hmm. Let's go into this little shack knowing full well that the press are going to follow them and picture them together. Yeah. Um, He's like, oh, let's, you know, this this is pretty cozy. It's a bit romantic. Uh, But her foot gets caught in a volleyball net. Her foot can't pop. It's not what she wanted. So she's like, no, absolutely not. So she specifically says like, this isn't romantic. And I really like that she does that. Mm. She she doesn't feel that she has to go through with it for somebody. She's like, this isn't what I imagined. This isn't. I'm not feeling it. We're not doing it. Mm. And I'm like, cool. Well done, beach debacle. Yeah. Like, if only that's where it ended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then they exit the shack because she's like, no, I want I want something different. I want a change of scene. And then all the paparazzi are there. 
Uh, and so Josh is like, this is my time. This is my 15 seconds of fame. And like very forcefully kisses her. It's awful. It is not consensual. Mm-hmm. That's trash. But then she hits him with her sandal, which is great. It's great. It's a big, thick sandal yeah, as well. Big, thick sandal. Probably hurt. Uh, hope we so. We hope it hurt. Uh, but you'd hope that that's where the beach debacle ended. Surely that's where the debacle ends. But no, the debacle continues. She's like trying to run away and flee. And then she stumbles upon Mandy Moore and her clique. Um, who? So Mandy Moore and Josh at the start. I think Mandy Moore's character's name is Lana. Uh, at the start of the movie, they've been dating. But then he says something like, oh, because... She was being all phony to the press about how you guys were friends. I broke up with her. I hate mm. phony publicity or something. Which is ironic because that's literally what he gets out of it's it. It's almost as if he's not a good person. It's almost as if he doesn't have consistent moral values. Wow. No, I think he has very consistent moral values. And that they're poor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's no way that he was inviting Mia to the beach without the intention of, like, this will get me famous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so... Mandy Moore is like, Lana, I'm sure Mandy Moore is a much nicer person than her character, (laughs) uh, goes, oh, let us help you because, like, we think that Josh is a douche as well because he broke up with me, so let us help you. And then, literally, I think this is probably, in my eyes, the most morally reprehensible thing that happens in this whole film. Mm -hmm. They go, oh, you get changed in this tent. Um, We'll keep an eye out for you. Make sure nobody's coming. You'll be safe. Don't worry. And she's, like... Uh, Anne Hathaway is so grateful and it's like thank you so much for helping me out I really appreciate it and then they like get the press to like sneak up and go guys look she's in here and then while she is getting changed a minor mind you a 15 year old a minor a 15 year old person they like get this um, temporary tent they knock it over so in front of a whole bunch of cameras she is photographed like Almost naked. Mm-hmm. And that is just so abhorrent to me. It is. And it's it's quite clearly depicted as a villainous act. Mm. But I feel like it's telling of the times in which this is made that it's kind of seen as like a... Oh, it's a, a little, little prank. A prank gone wrong. Just the girls having a bit of a prank. Mm. And not the kind of... the the hideously scarring event that yeah. we understand. Like that the it is. most overwhelming invasion of privacy. Yeah. Also, she is a minor mm-hmm. being photographed by adults and having this setup like completely vulnerable. Ah oh! Yeah, it's yeah. it's quite it's quite harsh. And mm. and then that's immediately followed by a scene of um Queen Julie Andrews kind of reprimanding her yeah. for it of like being out on a wild night or whatever yeah. and like the press have kind of like painted her as this wild party this wild person night. or whatever um, and Queen Julie Andrews believes this and it kind of leads to Mia going I shouldn't be the princess I should abdicate the, the position mm. however between those scenes there is a scene where she's with her mother mm. and is like really upset obviously because it's been a horrific night and her mum is there just being like, get it all out. Just cry it all out. It's okay. They treated you really badly. You have every right to yeah. process this. Which is really nice. Which I thought was a really Thanks, healthy... Helen. Helen. Love those single San Fram artist mums. <laughs> I said San Fram. San Fran. 
San Fran. San Fran. San Fran. Yeah. Um, the the one other thing that I want to mention about the um, girls not supporting girls in this. Actually, no, there are two things I want to mention. <laughs> Firstly is that Mandy Moore supposedly gets her comeuppance because she is, again, teasing Mia and this other bloke, Jeremiah, who has red hair, which is a fun colour. Um, and Mia's response to this is to take the ice cream cone that she is eating and just shove it into Mandy Moore's outfit and she gets chocolate ice cream all over her pristine uh, cheerleading uniform uh, and, you know, is publicly humiliated. Sandra O oh, as the um, as the vice principal was like, sorry, I didn't see anything, which is great. But, and, and I know it's supposed to be a bit of poetic justice, but in the grand scheme of things, the absolute utter abhorrent invasion of privacy and taking advantage of Mia in an extremely vulnerable moment and having one outfit ruined are not remotely on the same playing yeah. field. Like I know that it's meant to be a moment of like, ha Lana, mm-hmm. we got you back, but they're not, they're not remotely com- similar. And also it's not that I think that if you do something bad, you should have something equally as bad done to you. I just feel like Lana should have faced the consequences and yeah, it didn't really have, there weren't yeah. really any consequences. Like, the was it Josh? Yeah. Josh gets hit in the nuts with a baseball yeah. or a softball. We're not sure. <laughs> and and Lana gets a costume ruined. And it's like, yes, you can see that as like it. It stands for Mia getting her own back and getting one over on them or something. But again, it's not comparable to what actually happened no. to her. Yeah. I, and I also want to point out the fact that um, after. Queen Julie Andrews kind of slut shames her grand Oof, yeah. granddaughter. Uh, she then apologizes, and she's yeah. like, "I, I, you, I, you have the I wrote down the exact quote because it was a good one." She says, "It was judgmental of me. I didn't pause to consider the facts." And I think it's good that that apology happened, and that she acknowledged her her wrongdoing in that moment. Mm. And I think I think that's really good. But yeah, it just. The consequences did not match up to the the events that transpired. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two other people that I want to talk about who are not relevant necessarily to the feminist discussion, but I just love them, uh, that I think they deserve an honourable mention, are our friend Hector uh. Elizondo, who plays Joseph, the driver, Um we love him. If you've listened to our Pretty Woman episode, he's in Pretty Woman as well. Interestingly, plays more or less exactly the same, the character. same character. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm obsessed with it. Um, but he's he is this like beautiful, gentle, um, f- kind of fatherly figure who has just these lovely moments of wisdom and the same amounts of like care and consideration and mm-hmm. uh, oh, it just is lovely. Positive masculinity. Positive masculinity. There is one moment where I was like, oh, was that a bit transphobic? When uh, he goes, oh, San Francisco is a strange place. When I bought these shoes, they asked me if I wanted them in a bag or if I wanted to wear them. And I was like, oh, it's a minor, it's a minor footnote on yeah. the fact that you have a lovely representation of masculinity throughout. But mm-hmm. also, let's... Let's not poke fun at men wearing heels because no. sometimes men, men wear heels. want to wear heels. And that's like, totally fine. They can live their life. 
But he he is so he's very wholesome. So wholesome. And and kind of the, this this moral heart at yeah. the center of the movie. Uh, and also his romance with <gasps> with Queen Julie Andrews is oh, just phenomenal. so lovely. Yeah. So gorgeous. Yeah, the sexual tension is just right. Um, <laughs> You've been wearing black for too long. Uh, but it's also very, like, it, it's wholesome chemistry. Yeah. It's it's really nice. You're, like, rooting for them. You're like, yes, grandma I, and grandpa. <laughs> I, I love I love the, the fact that at the end of the movie... Um, when Anne Hathaway and Matthew Michael Michael, they're the same name. When he looks like a beetle, <laughs> he does. As in the beetle, like like Lennon McCartney, the band George the and Ringo. Yeah, not like a dung beetle not, or something. Yeah, not like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. So the at at the big ball, Mia and Michael. Michael. I'd already forgotten. Uh, he <laughs> escorts her out to the garden to have their romantic moment. And Joe says, damn it, he sold my spot. He had the right idea. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wholesome. Yeah. We, we like Hector Elizondo, if you're listening. We love you. We love you. Um, you were telling me, Ellis, that in every, all 18 movies that... Gar- so Gary Marshall directed uh, Princess Diaries and Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, he directed 18 movies, apparently. Hector El- Elizondo was in all of them. <laughs> and I just hope... I haven't seen all of them. I hope he plays the same character. I hope he's just this wonderful, wholesome figure in all of the yeah, movies. Understated, yeah, understated, but just, like, always got a word of affirmation and wisdom. Yes. Like, no judgment. Ah, oh. Just here for you. It's interesting, though, thinking about the fact that Gary Marshall, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Directed both Pretty Woman and Princess Diaries. I draw so many parallels between those movies. Yeah. Because, like, A, he pretty much started the careers of both Julia Roberts and Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Like, they were kind of their breakout films. Yeah. But also there's a level of, all right, we're going to take somebody, a woman who, by societal standards, is not necessarily the most ladylike figure and we're going to give her a transformation so that by the end she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Hector Elizondo is there. <laughs> but also, so is... Larry Miller. Larry Miller, who uh, in this movie plays Paolo. Uh, the stylist. The stylist. Freaking hilarious. Um, but in Pretty Woman plays the sales assistant that uh, kind of is all over Richard Gere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also the dad in 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, regular of the podcast. He's, yeah, Larry friend, Miller. Of, friend of the podcast, Larry Miller. Friend <laughs> of late 90s, early 2000s movies, Larry Miller. Um, but I watched the Paolo scene and I'm like, my biggest takeaways were, A, Paolo, you don't brush curly hair. That's not, no, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Uh, curly girl method, Paolo, look it up. <laughs> And also, um, my other big takeaway was like, wow, beauty standards are so seasonal and relevant to the era because they're all like, oh, bushy eyebrows, um, we need to get them under control. Whereas if it were 2020, it'd be like, oh, hell yeah, bushy eyebrows are really in. Mm. At least they weren't plucked to like 2004 standards where they were just like one pencil line. Pencil line, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But... I, Paolo is hilarious. Look, I, I think this movie is 
really delightful. It's very wholesome. Mm. It's got some wonderful performances in it. It's got a really solid script that's quite funny mm. at times. There are a few quibbles and a few questionable feminist elements. Yeah. So, well, before we, we get into the, the rating or ruining, does this film pass the Bechdel test? Oh, absolutely. Like, I would easily. say the majority of the scenes between Anne Hathaway and um, Julie Andrews do. And Anne Hathaway and her mum. Mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway and Lily. Yeah. The one other thing I want to say about Lily is I'm watching Lily and her rampage of like, we're going to save the turtles, we're going to save the sea lions, we're going to save another endangered animal. And I'm like, oh, it's people like you that are the reason that people hate activists. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because it's, you know, like zero nuance, zero um, consideration of time and or place, um, just rampaging on your friend for their choices without stopping to consider that it's actually just their life and they get to lead it. (sighs) But yes, I I would say that this film 100% passes the Bechdel test. Easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, queer representation is non-existent. Non-existent. Yeah. Uh, Other than the one slightly transphobic comment about the heels... (laughs) Um, we we also have like there are people of color in this movie. We have Sandra O oh is probably the most prominent, mm. but this is another story that's like, hey, if you're white and rich, all of your problems will go away mm. because it, it's just that 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 that's another narrative point that I just kind of get stuck up on is like. Julie Andrews comes in and she's a queen and she has two limousines and she's like, I'll just buy you any dresses that you need. I'll give you the money that you need for your car. I'll solve all your problems because I'm rich. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, the only way that you will achieve something in your life is that you are rich and powerful. And and, white. And white. And so just... (sighs) Yeah. I mean... That is indicative of our society. It is. It's like art reflecting life. Yeah, I'm just, I guess it's an absolute indictment on our society. I guess you could say that I'm suggesting that we burn it all to the ground. <laughs> That's the takeaway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's really like, this is just another story where it's like, all the main players are white. If mm-hmm. you are white, you're a leading player in your story and... People yeah. of color are there to prop it up rather than play an active yeah. role. There's also like little things where like Mia mentions that her father kind of paid for all of her tuition. Mm. So that was never a concern. Like she, she lives a fairly privileged life. Like yeah. I, I, I think, I, I don't think they are the upper class yeah. before the grandmother. Comes but also in, but... if you go to a school in the U S where there's a uniform, that's a fancy school. Yeah. Ellis. Yes. Do we rate or ruin the Princess Diaries. I think at the beginning of this conversation, I was leaning towards rate because mm. there's a lot of powerful women, a lot of strong characterization. But the more I think about the way it kind of props up conventional standards of beauty and yeah. femininity mm-hmm. and what a woman should be, the more I'm like, I, I don't think it quite gets there. Yeah, nor do I. Um, yeah, and I also just don't think that the way that the women treat each other is 
well, the, the girls treat each other at least is critiqued enough? Particularly with Lily. Like, like <laughs> I feel like we're supposed to be on Lily's side yeah. in parts of and it. And Lily's supposed to have like quite a few redeeming moments. And they they was they felt so hollow for me. I was like, yeah. Oh, but I still haven't forgiven you from the fact that you were really horrible to me from like from the most, most of the, the film. film. And Maybe. at one point, Mia like calls it out, and she's like, "You are always awful to me. You are like criticizing me left, right, and center." Um, but then, when Lily gets excited that she's a princess, that conversation just kind of falls by the wayside. Yeah, it just completely. Yeah. It's like, oh, we were almost there about how you should treat your friends with respect. And then we lost it. And then we didn't didn't quite get there. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... I'm erring on the side of it doesn't hold up for me. It does a lot of... Like, I think it does a lot of good things. Like, like I love the characters. Mm. But I feel... I, I just don't think it gets there. No. I love the film. It's a great film. It's a great film. I had I, a great time watching There are some... <laughs> hilarious moments I, like when I, Julie Andrew well, leaves the debacle after she has knighted the <laughs> um, the policeman and the um, tram guy and goes goodbye trolley people <laughs> incredible just everything that Julie Andrews did in this film warmed mm. my heart like the, when she apologizes to Mia and goes like I am first and foremost your grandmother and gives her this big hug and I'm like it just warmed my heart so much Made me miss my gran a lot. <laughs> Hi, gran, if you're listening. Patron of the podcast. <laughs> I wish that we had a stronger opinion on, like, I wish we either loved the feminism or hated it, but it's a bit like, it's just like. I'm just on the fence. It's just not quite there. And I wonder if that's kind of indicative of, like. The era? The era. Mm. I wonder if this has something to do with, with all respect to Gary Marshall, who I think is quite a good director. Mm. Um, or he makes very palatable films. Yeah. And I feel that. All his films are, are kind of this feel-good story and he doesn't really want to rock the boat. And I feel that that's not really what I'm after with my feminist discourse. I want boats to be rocked. Rock the boats. Yeah. Ellis, if our friends would like to hear from us, get in touch, have like give us their two cents worth on our feminist critique of the Princess Diaries. I almost said Princess Bride again. Uh, how can they do that? Well, first, they can join us in welcoming new people to the Order of the Rose. <laughs> or... I thought you were going to say, well, they can deliver us a pizza where they have <laughs> their feminist thoughts written in M&Ms. Oh, that's probably better. Yeah. Maybe I should do this segment from now on, Alice. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. This is all I have, Mim. It was it's like that time when I was really patronizing when I when you did the social media plugs. I was really mean to you. Uh, also, we didn't we didn't talk about that in the episode, but basically, when um, when Mia uh, turns down Michael, um, who is mm. Lily's brother, who uh, evidently has had has a long term crush on her. Yeah. Uh, they were like gonna do something, and then Josh, douchebag Josh, asks her out. He she blows him off, mm. and then he's really upset about that. Obviously, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and then she gives him a, a pizza with M and M's on it that says sorry because <laughs> he likes M and M's. He likes M and M's because he plays a keyboard with M and M's on it. And the whole time I was like, that would be so stressful. You'd just get M M&M and M all over your keyboard. 
He's a bit of a like. He's a bit of a nothing character, to be honest. He's a bit of a bland, generic love interest. He looks like the fifth Beatle. Yeah. His redeeming character. His redeeming characteristic is the fact that he noticed her before anyone else did, and so liked her for who she actually was, not just for who she was in the spotlight. Which is admirable. I just, I just don't think he's a particularly interesting character. We just don't really know anything about it. He likes cars. And music. He plays the keyboard. He's much more interesting in the books. He's much more three-dimensional in the books. Read the books, fam. <laughs> it's a really good book series. Anyway, Ellis. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook. We are Feminism Ruins Everything dash It's, it's a, a Feminist, feminist Podcast. podcast. Or you can find us on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Or if you uh, like the show and would like to support us financially, please check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Feminism Ruins Everything pod. We upload, uh, the cover art gets up there uh, a bit early. We upload little behind-the-scenes things. You know, it's just a couple of nice little things, and we really appreciate everybody who is uh, a patron so far. We really thank you and love you. You Um, can also subscribe to us on whatever platform you are listening from. mm -hmm. Um, It's very easy, especially on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just, Just hit that. Hit the old subscribe button. I feel like a YouTuber saying that. Smash that like button. Ew. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> gross. And as we mentioned earlier, we are doing live shows. Yes! So if you're in Adelaide and you want to come help us record an episode, uh, the details will be in the, the description here or all over our social media. Please book tickets. There are very limited seats, mm. so get your tickets in quick. Yeah. 24th and the 30th of October. Grab your tickets, fam. We're talking Boom. about Friends and Frozen, both of which are going to be robust discussions. Huge discussions. And there'll be, like, singing and interaction. And you guys will get to say that it's a feminist podcast bit. And you'll get to weigh in on the discussion. Yeah, and... exactly. Everybody's going to have a microphone and just be con- a cacophony of noise. Ellis, no false advertising, please. That's not possible. You never accept any of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.